0: All right. Welcome to another episode of survival mode. And uh, I'm super excited tonight because I got a guest on here who um, little does he know he's impacted my life and in so many good ways after my, um, you know, my event, you know, my uh, brain tumor and surgery and all that. Um, He's an amazing guy he's helping a lot of people for sure. And um, I don't want to steal his thunder. And, and, you know, he's helped me help people more. And he's just a real positive energy as an amazing Facebook group for cancer survivors. And he's going to share more about it. And, you know, I want to introduce Matt Odie. How's it going, Matt?
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, that was a great intro. You know, I'm happy I could help out and uh, excited to share my story and message to uh, your community today. So thanks, Todd.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I am super excited. We've been talking about this for a little bit. And and um, so Matt, so talk to me about, you know, a little bit about your your younger years. And in my mind, you're you're, you're young now for sure. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about growing up, you know, just kind of a little bit about you and then, and then kind of segue into, you know, how you, you know, you figured out how you found out about your, your situation. So, uh you know, tell me more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, man, I'm, I just turned 30 a couple months ago. So um, no crazy life, uh, you know, moments where everyone's like, Oh, I had this big epiphany or whatever. But um, same old as I was in my 20s, just more uh, driven to, to do things. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll go back before uh, my diagnosis, which, um, you know, my early 20s, I was I pretty much predicated my entire life to health. You know, I was a wellness director, personal trainer, um, really helping people live a healthy lifestyle on top of mind, eating the right foods all the time, working on your sleep, hydration, um, working out. And, um, you know, for me, um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I was, uh, 24 years old and, um, you know, at the time lifting probably five, six days a week. And, um, you know, it's, it's now summer and, um, I just started dating, uh, my now fiance, Lauren, and, um, you know, we were doing all these activities, you know, we're doing hiking, we're doing kayaking, all these things. And all of a sudden I started to notice, um, these minor back pains and, um, you know, at 24 years old, you're just like, whatever, you're totally fine. You're invincible. And I, I don't blame anybody who thinks that. And, um, you know, so for me, I just kind of started to let it go. And it started getting worse. And the back pain started getting to the point where I couldn't do a lot of those activities, I couldn't even start working out. And um, instead of going to a doctor, I decided to go to a chiropractor, that didn't help. And, um, you know, as stubborn as I was one night, um, I was over Lauren's house, my fiance, and um, I ended up puking up blood, Uh, I got rushed to the emergency room, They did a blood test on me and found out that I had lost two thirds of the two thirds of the blood circulating in my body. So um, immediately uh, they rushed me into an emergency surgery to figure out what was causing the bleeding and in the time they thought it was an ulcer. And, um, so I get the next morning. Um, I wake up, it's just me and my parents at the time. And, um, I'm in this like small recovery room at a local hospital and, uh, I'm thinking I'm ready to go home. Everything's doing better. Um, they gave me six bags of blood to like regain my energy and everything. And, um, all of a sudden the, the doctor walks in and, um, he just has this blank stare in his eye. And, uh, I knew right then, like, There was something way more than just, you know, that minor surgery that they may have done. And when they went in there, um, he had sat down with me. He said, Matt, we we we've discovered an 11 centimeter tumor in your small intestine. We know it is cancerous. We just don't know what type of cancer. so um and the clinic is one of the top hospitals in in the world so I was very grateful for that so they pretty much within a day get me over to that hospital do a bunch of tests on me and um I haven't told anybody yet it's basically my parents and me who really know not even Lauren not really any of my friends yet and um they find out that I have the highest stage of testicular cancer so basically the cancer had spread all over my body Um, and it was basically how they track is what's called your AFP markers and your AFP for a male should be around five or below. I was over 75,000. So I wasn't even on their chart anymore. Um, so then we, you know, of course had to start sharing the news to everybody. And for me at the time, um, I just remember thinking like this young male that, um, sharing my emotions was vulnerable or sharing my emotions or sharing how I was feeling was a weakness instead of something that could help me and all it was doing was creating more anxiety more stress into my day and um, as like friends and family started coming in I just had like no emotions because I just didn't know what to do with it and um, I felt lost almost and finally Lauren she comes in, she's only been dating me for like two and a half months. So like, I didn't know if she was still going to be with me. I didn't know if she was going to break up because I mean, that's a huge burden to put on a a relationship within, you know, two months of dating. So right then and there though, um, we just started breaking down crying. And from then on, um, I started to just express how I was feeling. And I think that's my first lesson to a lot of people is if you're going through something challenging in your life, um, don't just hold all of it. in. I'm not saying share it to the world. Cause I didn't do that, but find somebody that you can really love and trust and start sharing how you're truly feeling, whether it's mental health, whether it is uh, a tough health diagnosis, whether it's something, you know, in your relationship or something financial, whatever it is in your journey, but you just holding it in is almost like every day. It's just an extra pound of weight put onto your shoulders. So for me, as I was able to talk through it, um, you know, it really, really helped take that weight off of me and allows me to focus on what my next steps were ahead of me, which was chemotherapy. So, um, you know, really, this is a, a message for women and men, but women, you're a lot better at this than us. You are good at sharing your emotions most of the time. I mean, almost all the time where us men were not that great. And Todd, I'm sure you can attest to this. Um, so I can relate to
0: that. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. You had me at the puking the throwing up blood thing, right? Yep. So, you're hanging out, how old are you? 24. 24. Your back's been bothering you, right? And all of a sudden you start did you feel nauseous or just blood? So was- here's so
1: here's why it was causing the bleeding. So, where my tumor was was it, and I'll get more depth into it later, but it was wrapped around what was called my inferior vena cava. My Inferior vena cava is basically a central vein that goes from the bottom of, of your body to your heart. And it was wrapping around it and it was also hitting other nerves. So what it was doing was I think it was damaging some of those nerves and, or not nerves, some of the well nerves and veins and it was causing like internal bleeding. And I—that that is when like one night I was just like super nauseous, started puking. And it was really actually not till the next day that I ended up going to the hospital because I ended up puking up again. And they're like, listen, you're going to the hospital like immediately. And I was like, yes, I know. I can barely even walk. And um, that's when they really figured it out.
0: So let me ask you, you know, I'm a nurse too. And cardiology was my thing. And sometimes because it's close to that area, it causes nausea people that have heart events and things like that, they get nausea sometimes, but the, so what are you thinking? What's running through your mind when you're like vomiting blood, where you're like, holy crap. Or were you like, uh, you know, you know you
1: I am about? so ignorant to the fact of what was going on at that time. I had sangrias the night before, and I thought I had food poisoning. I was like, I probably had food poisoning. Cause we went to some market in the, you know, um, ingredients just like, it seemed like the fruit wasn't like good good or anything, but Lauren was totally fine. I'm like, I had food poisoning. This is bullshit. And, you know, once I puked it up again, I was like, okay, like I told my parents, um, I'm like, Hey ma, or I, I called my dad and I'm like, dad, I, I need to go to the hospital. And he's like, yeah, okay. You need to get there. So my mom picked, grabbed me, picked me up, brought me to the hospital. I was white as a ghost. And, um, I mean, I never still in the, in my last days, would have ever thought I had cancer. And I think most people, um, your first diagnosis, like you never expect it to be that you could think anything else in the world, but your mind doesn't just gravitate towards like, Oh, I have cancer, you know? So,
0: yeah. Oh, and they just, so you go through a surgery cause they're obviously it's like life or limb stuff, right? They want to stop the bleeding. You go in the surgery, you come out, you're kind of groggy. Now, they just basically said, hey, listen, we just did surgery. We know it's cancer. And you're laying in bed. Who's there with you and what's going on in your head, you know?
1: Yeah, it was just my parents. So Lauren knew I was at the hospital, but like she wasn't there. It was literally just my parents there. Um, and really, they didn't do too much into that surgery. All they did was they put a scope down that they thought was the There was an ulcer to, that they had to close up or something like that. I don't really know how it works, but they had, I feel something like that. And they found the tumor in there and they really didn't do much. The next morning I was up and awake and my parents had already known, but like, they didn't say anything to me because they knew the doctor was coming in like any moment. And that's when they kind of broke down. And I remember looking at them and that's where I was like, I have to be strong for them. I I can't share my emotions, all of these things. And like I said, it wasn't until I seen Lauren like the next day and, um, you know, I was able to finally just kind of like break down and and really uh, open up to how I was feeling about this whole situation. And it's okay. It's okay to have those emotions, it's actually good to share those emotions, because without that, like, you're just kind of like this, like, wall of of like non-emotion and you can never actually like get to the root of the issue which for me obviously like I knew like it was cancer but there was way more to it than just cancer and everyone knows that being diagnosed or knowing somebody diagnosed with cancer there's a lot of emotional mental baggage that comes along with the physical challenge of it as well
0: yeah 100% and being guys I can relate to your story like I think I went to I had to go to this neurosurgeon and I went and like I, I don't normally, you know, maybe it's the of whatever. I don't normally like let things out, but it just started to come out. And like, I had some tears. I was talking to the surgeon and just said it like four times ago. And I, as, as I'm saying it to you, pardon the language. I said, this, this is fucking hard. And he yeah. looks at me as I know. And that was probably one of my biggest lessons. Cause you just brought that up was like to let it out. And I started letting it out and it came out. And And I think that's part of what trauma release is, is being okay with the emotions for sure. Yeah,
1: it is, man. Um, and I, I look at it this way too, like without growth, like, you know, you have to go through some type of adversity. Like you don't just get like, and I'm not saying you have to go through cancer, but what I'm trying to say is like anytime in life, that you are ready to go to a next level, or you're ready to, or, you know, for me being a Christian, God wants you to, to really excel in life. He's going to put you you know, you're going to go through challenges in your life. And for me, I would pray nobody ever has to go through any of the crap that we had to go through. But what I will say is be prepared to face challenges in your life, no matter what it is. And um, how I look at it is, it's a simple lesson that took me a while to understand, but has made a huge difference in my life. And that is everything in life happens for you, not to you. And basically the simple concept means is every single one of us is going to go through setbacks, is going to go through adversity in our life, but it's how do you deal with it mentally, emotionally, and physically? Are you going to say, why is this happening to me? Meaning making excuses, becoming the victim of the situation, having a why me mentality, and always letting it define you? Or are you going to say, How is this happening for me? And grow and learn through the experience. So learn through it, become a better version of yourself. And ultimately, as you gain the lessons and the knowledge, you can then use that to do what we're doing by helping other people. That's the true, that's the true mission that I believe God has is, is Him giving you the lessons so that you can go out and make an impact in in somebody else's life who may be going through something, you know, similar. And that's where, you know, we're both at today. And I'm excited, you know, in later on the podcast to share that, but um, it's been a massive shift in my mindset, which took a while to understand because it's very easy when, um, you know, we'll talk about it uh, when you're going through chemo or when I'm, you know, going through multiple surgeries or an ICU and um, it just seems like it's never going to
0: end. Yeah, for sure. And we'll definitely chat about that. Because I viewed it like you did. And I didn't even know you then. And it was funny, because I'm like, the funny thing was, is you were sharing your story, your health, you know, fitness, and I was the same way health coach into all this. And I'm like, man, what's missing here, right. And what I said was, what's the lesson here? What do I need to learn? And And the answers come like Tony Robbins talks about, ask yourself better questions, you'll get better answers. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is the lesson here? And for me, it was, you know, obviously what I'm doing now, but helping others, but more so about learning to live life Mm -hmm. and not growing up. So anyway, so you got this, you get, they're talking to you, they're, they talk to your parents, you're just kind of, you know, you're. Your girlfriend comes, you cry, you know, you cry. So what's next? What's, what's going on?
1: So as soon as they, pretty much everyone's like came and started to visit me, um, they find out that at the highest stage of testicular cancer, like, okay, we need to get you into chemo immediately. So that day, at the end of that day, um, I was immediately put into what's called BEP, which is very intense chemotherapy. Um, you know, usually even the highest testicular patients go through four rounds of this, um, where it's five straight days of chemotherapy. Um, and then you get like a week and a half off and then you repeat the, um, week and a half to two weeks off. Then you repeat the cycle Well, they ended up putting me through five because I had such a high AFP marker and they really need to get that down and they needed to shrink the tumor so that, um, you know, when they go in and operate on this, that it's not, you know, this massive tumor that is almost inoperable because it's around my vena cava. That was the trickiest part was it wasn't the tumor. It was mostly the vena cava that it was wrapped around and they didn't know whether they could salvage it or not. So they needed to do the chemotherapy, pray that, you know, the tumor would either, you know, just really shrink down and the cancer would really diminish throughout this. So um, so yeah, so I ended up going on through chemotherapy. Um, you know, anybody who's gone through chemo, you know, you, you know, I lost my hair within the first week and a half. I was crazy fatigued, couldn't get out of bed a lot of the times. Um, one of the biggest mental hurdles I had to face is, uh, if anybody's lost a pet, you know, the struggle. Well, I lost my four-year-old puppy due to cancer who we were fighting together directly. I literally get home from chemo one day. He can barely even walk. We have to take him in and put him down. And it was one of the most debilitating um days of my life because I was already beat as hell. And it just seemed like um the setbacks could never end. And I almost just felt like I lost a best friend. And I know a lot of people in test and I hit such a young age for him losing him at that age um just destroyed me mentally. And like I said, I went to that victim mindset and for probably a week not wanting to go to chemo, not wanting to do anything. And one day I kind of woke up and I remember um, I just remember like praying and and I remember saying, like you know, is this is this what Lauren or my parents or anybody who truly cares about me really want for me because at the end of the day, when you're going through something challenging, I'm gonna tell you right now, stop being selfish, and this sounds terrible, but it's not. don't be selfish in the point of letting it define you because there are so many more people that care about you during this journey that If you say, hey, listen, I'm not just like, if you're like, screw it for me, at least do it for somebody else that loves and cares about you. Because trust me, they are going through a really strong emotional journey as well. So I said, listen, if I'm pissed at myself and I'm pissed at this whole situation, the least I can do is do this for the people who love and care about me. And I said, well, what is one thing, this is all I focused on, what is one thing I can do a day? To get myself better maybe it's getting up and walking 50 meters just to kind of get my legs moving maybe it's getting myself to chemotherapy because i don't want to but i know i have to things like that and as you keep doing that those small victories turn into massive results and that's what i've learned in life is um stop trying to do everything at once focus on one small task a day and stop making it all about you And focus on who are the other people that are in your life that you also are fighting these battles or fighting these challenges for. And I think it'll start making a big difference in your life. And it did for me, for sure. That was my first moment of like, okay, Matt, how is life starting to happen for me? Even though it's not fair, even though there's nothing that I can look forward to in this moment, direct moment, how is this a lesson? And I finished chemotherapy and that took about four months. Um, and I lost about 40 to 5 pounds. I was, you know, very weak. Um, I mean, I was a fit personal trainer, 185 pounds, seven, six to 7% body fat. I mean, I have pictures. I was just very lean at the time and super fit. And then now I'm this 140 pound kid who looks like he's, you know, just ran, um, you know, he's a marathon runner. And then nothing to, I used to be a cross country runner, but I just know what I looked like, you know? And I was like, it, that's not who I was at the time. So, um, yeah, man, it was tough. But um, after that, a really cool story is uh, my dad, he said, Okay, Matt, you finished chemo and we are gonna host a small event. Um, you know, it's now close to Thanksgiving. So it's, um, you know, right around then. And every Thanksgiving, usually almost all like major cities do what's called a turkey trot, where they have like five, 10, people come to these cities and, and do these big like turkey runs. And my dad was like, Okay. We're going to get people to come and just celebrate your end of chemotherapy Um, on Thanksgiving morning. We might get, you know, 40, 50 people to come celebrate you and, um, you know, we'll give them free t-shirts and and things like that. And we get to the event on Thanksgiving morning. It's like 30 degrees out, 630 a.m. And we have over 400 people show up just to support me. And I didn't even know probably 200 of them. And this is my next like lesson for you guys is. When you're going through battles, please don't think you're alone, because I promise you, there are so many people that do care about you, that want to help you. Um, so so just remember, like there is support systems out there. As long as you're willing, like we originally talked about, ask for help and be able to share what you're going through, there will be always somebody there that is willing to give you a helping hand. And for me, it was just so incredible to see the amount of people in my life that like from friends and family I knew to probably half the people that were like, We're just praying for you. We heard through X, Y, and Z. We wanted to show up and we wanted to support you. And it was so cool. And um, we ended up naming the event Mustaches for Map. And here's why. So when I first was going through chemotherapy, I lost all my hair but I had this like dirtier than this right now. It's pretty bad, but I had this really dirty mustache on because I said, this is the only piece of hair I could have left on me. So I just kept it on for as long as I could. And all my friends, of course, they're not going to like make fun of me or anything. So they decided all my, all the dads and all the guy friends to grow mustaches throughout the entire round of my chemotherapy. So at the end, when we went to this, they all had mustaches and we handed out fake mustaches to all the girls. And that's how it became mustaches for Matt. And, um, we've done it every single year. Um, you know, moving forward, um, you know, fra- until COVID happened. And this year, actually, I am now officially hosting my own mustaches for Matt race on April 30th. And, um, all proceeds are going to almond cancer fund, which is a young adult cancer organization. And, um, it's just, uh, it's truly incredible where you can go just from going through tough times and making things happen. So, um, that was the first part of my journey. And I don't know if you have any questions, so.
0: Yeah. So that's amazing. A lot of learning from it. So during the process of, you know, you had surgery, did they wind up removing that tu- that that tumor that was wrapped around, right? And, you, they had to remove, you know, part of your test. Yeah, I can
1: share that whole part. That'll be the second part. So yeah,
0: for sure. So let me ask you a question. You're going through this part. Did you feel like you had a plan or did you like, you're like, Oh my God, like, you know, because lots of medical things coming at you and you're like, you know, people are like, I know people ask me a lot, they're like, you know, what did you do? You know, because I'm in healthcare, I can navigate and I kind of could read a lot of different things in, and yeah. in, in the system and kind of know what, cause you know, there are, there are measures in the medical field that have really helped things and to take advantage of them. And knowing a blend of that and knowing how to care for yourself was, you know, what, what, what was your take? What's your take on that?
1: Yeah. So my dad, um, not medical field, but he is, he's a business owner and he's very knowledgeable at retaining information. So like he, I'm not even kidding you. And we'll get into the second part, but like he would retain so much information that when nurses would come in, they thought he was a legit doctor because of all the the information he obtained from all this. So it did help, but here's how I look at it. <clears throat> in my case, it, even the doctor's, or even the nurses, it was almost like being a um a weatherman or whether like whoever the people do the weather. My point being is they can give you their best estimate of how this is gonna happen. Yep. But literally within an instant, a thunderstorm or a crazy um circumstance can happen. And that was me in the medical field. That's the best way I can explain it. Is like they will tell you, hey, here's what the probabilities are, here's what when we go into the surgery, what we're hoping to do. But we're never going to be for sure or certain of what's going to happen until we actually do this and um, or right in the moment. And it's just like somebody who's sharing their weather, you know, a forecast or whatever. They're like, hey, it should be sunny tomorrow. And the next thing you know, this thunderstorm just rolls in out of nowhere and you just never knew. So for me, um, it was really tricky because it's like we had this game plan, but we also knew deep down like um, and I'll um, get to it here um, that it wasn't going to be perfect. It never is. It could also be like building a home or like when you're like remodeling things, you think it's going to be one price. And then next thing you know, by the end, you're paying $25,000 extra because of all these little things that might've happened and all this crazy stuff. So here's how it worked. So I went in, saw my oncologist and he's like, okay, Matt, we have really good news and we have um, some tough news for you as well. The good news is your tumor is now three centimeters from 11. So the chemo worked. Um, it, your AFP markers are down to maybe a couple hundred now. So it, 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 fantastic news, but the problem is is your tumor is still wrapped around your vena cava. So we are going to have to do roughly 10 to 12 hour surgery with four different surgeons, which, if you don't know surgery, but four different surgeons of four different fields, four different fields involved because there's so many areas of my stomach that I had to go through and we don't know what the complications are but we have guesses and estimates of how this is going to work out and um i'll tell you right now the those two weeks leading up to that surgery was one of the toughest weeks of my life mentally um it, and uh i didn't want to talk to anybody i just wanted to get it over with and be like okay like cuz i didn't know what was going to happen i mean a 12 hour surgery i was like holy cow so finally the day comes um i do get the it, it was roughly 10 to 12 hours i don't know the exact time I get the surgery. Um, Like I said before, I was about 140 pounds going into the surgery. Now coming out of the surgery, they basically cut me open from my left hip to my right hip. And I woke up and I, for two days, couldn't move. Like I was just like totally out of it. And um, I remember they finally get me up, they get me on the scale. And I noticed my whole body is just totally swollen and I'm close to 200 pounds from all the swelling that occurred in my body. So what happened was my body just, I I think went to the survival mode and started swelling in certain areas, like not just my stomach, but my legs were like a balloon, my arms, everything. And I remember, I remember asking the surgeon, I'm like, you know, um, they had this draining tube and I'm like, is this going to just continuously drain it so that my body doesn't have all this swelling? And he said, yes, the draining should happen. You should, within a couple of weeks, um, have most of it out and you should start feeling, you know, not as swollen and start to get onto that road of recovery. So a week goes by, I'm out of the hospital. Another week goes by and all of a sudden, like the draining just stops just like that. And I get into so much pain because it shouldn't have done that. I get into so much pain that um, I was on and Percocet, everything, you name it. Didn't do anything, get rushed to the emergency room. And um, they immediately from that emergency room, see how much pain I'm in, get me in an ambulance, get me to the clinic, and they end up having to drain seven liters of fluid out of my stomach in a matter of three different surgeries. I had um, what's called compartment syndrome, which you probably know, basically your body starts shut down. I had kidney and liver failure, Um, I had a cone drilled inside my head because they needed to monitor potential brain swelling. I had a catheter in my chest and in my neck because they thought I was going to be on dialysis the rest of my life. And I fell into a two-week non-induced coma. And um, all I can say is, um, you know, big story of faith. You know, when you're in these situations where you have no control, where you have nothing left it purely comes down to faith. And here's a story. And like I said, I don't push faith on anybody, but I'm sharing my story as a Christian. And um, this is one of the most powerful stories that has ever happened for, for my life. And while I was in that coma, um, Lauren and my mom and my dad, they, they'd never left. It was like two weeks. They just stayed there or they would sleep in the hotel in the hospital and they come right back to the ICU room. And um, Lauren Every day would come up, she'd hold my hand and she'd just pray for me to wake up, to heal. And while that was going on, my mom, being the the, um, faith-based person she is, she held three prayer services where, no joke, hundreds of people would go to this local church of ours and pray for me. And not only would they pray for me, but they'd also have people around the world from what they told me. This is what they told me. is around the world praying for me. And directly in the middle of the very last prayer service... While people were praying at church, people praying around the world, and Lauren was literally holding my hand praying for me, was the moment I woke up from my coma. I started to wiggle my fingers. She almost didn't believe it, but she ran over to the nurses. The nurses came in. They ran over to the surgeon. He didn't even believe it started to see my eyes open. And for me, that was the first step of me overcoming this um, tragic event that that I just went through. But I also feel like it was God's way of saying, Matt, this isn't the end of your journey. This is a brand new chapter and a brand new um, part of your life that I have for you. And um, man, if you're in a rock bottom situation right now for anybody right now, whatever area of your life just know the only place you can go from there is up and it may be the point you needed to be at in order to take that 180 to make that change to go to where you need to be in life and um, for me I have a lot more complications that happened but it was that turning point for sure um of my life so wow.
0: yeah you know it's it's interesting you know I, I always share as a I had an old boss that said this and he's like he goes Todd there's no atheists in foxholes you know when the bombs are flying you're praying to something you know and and I'm I'm a Christian too and I find I found through my experience too that people were praying and and it works it works I can't explain it but it works so let me ask you how was your faith prior to the diagnosis?
1: Yeah, great question. So my faith prior to diagnosis was, I was, I had faith, but it wasn't like, I cared about at 24 years old, I cared about looking good, you know, taking care of my body, but also going out on weekends and partying with my friends, going to Miami, where we had like cool vacations, all these other things. And You know, I found myself in a point where before I had met Lauren, I was in really tough part, like relationship wise and just mentally all over the place. I may have been the most physically fit in my life, but mentally and emotionally, I was the most damaged, depressed, anxious, true panic attacks and not knowing what to do with my life. And, you know, even though I wanted to, you know, help people with health, but I still was like, I think I have this bigger vision, but I wasn't using God to guide me or help me through this. And I had no choice but to add, to have him guide me and help me through this part of my journey. And um, ever since today, like no matter what I do, I give credit to God in some way or form of helping me. And a lot of people don't understand. They're like, Matt, how could you praise God for him giving you cancer? And I said, God didn't give me cancer. There's free will in life. And just remember that your eternal life is not on this earth, it is up in heaven. And it's what you go through, and how you're able to react to situations in life. And if I were to just become this victim of the situation and always have this, you know, why me mentality, it will never get me anywhere in life. So you can either, like I said, ask yourself, why is this happening to me or say, how is this happening for me? And that's where my faith comes in. Because at the end of the day, when things are like you said, when you're in that foxhole, and there's, literally no hope and you have nowhere to go like nobody can technically like save you that is when god can really make a miracle in your life and praying and asking for help um and that can be in anything addictions um it can be in you know true depression anxiety ptsd like anything in life
0: so i'm gonna ask you this because I, I i went here with myself like before my surgery, you know how you were sharing, you were like, you know, you just want to get it through. Like, I was like, I just want to live through mine because they're going in my head, right? And I just wanted to be with people, but I'm one of those, it's like, all right, give me the worst, I'll accept it. And anything above that is great. And so I looked at death, right? And I started watching stuff on Netflix, like people that had like near death experiences, what that was. I also listened to like the Bible on the history channel one. I'm like, all right, I was all like into this. Let me ask you a question. So yeah. you were in a coma. Like mm-hmm. you don't remember anything. Like what's, what was that blackout period? Like was yeah. there, you just woke up. Like, what was that like? I just, for
1: it wasn't just a blackout period. It really wasn't. Um, So when I was in my coma, Um, it was really weird. This is all I'm going to tell you straight up how I can remember it. I remember my, my father and Lauren, um, like being somewhere and I'm trying to get to them. I can't get to them for some reason. Like, I'm like, help me. Basically. I'm, I, I just remember asking for help. I'm in this, I'm in a coma. So it's like a dream almost. And I have these doctors and nurses that maybe when I would slightly wake up or whatnot, but doctors and nurses that were helping me in the moment. Were part of this like dream and coma and I was like running away from them in my dream and eventually I swear I get to this room and not only is it Lauren and my dad but it's like all my family members and friends that um I can really think of in the moment that are still alive so not like past that passed away or things like that but people are still alive and they're all like cheering me on like I get to this room and they're cheering me on and they're like Matt like it's time to wake up I'm not even kidding you. Like I'm in this room and it's just like all these people. And that was the last thing I can remember in my coma was them like cheering me on and just saying, it's time to wake up. And I didn't just like wake up. Like it wasn't like, Oh, I'm ready. I'm here. It was more like slowly, but surely like coming into consciousness. And, uh, Wow. You know, that's, uh, that's kind of my whole story of like being in a coma is really weird. It's super like, you can never explain these things. There's some people who say they've been to, you know, they've seen God. There's some people who say they've seen past like people in their lives. This was my experience. This is exactly how it was. And, um, that's all I can remember from it.
0: Wow. Wow. Cause that was, soon did you said, I'm like, all right. Like, you know, what, you know, is it like this dream? Like, you know, that's that,
1: it was a long, trust me when I say this, like it was a long run to like from away from I don't know why I was running from these nurses, but dude, I was running for days. Like literally, man, like I felt like it was a non-stop like journey. And um, it was almost like a dream that never ended. And finally, like when I I got to that place, like it was almost like, okay, it's time. Yeah. And I've um I have had um in recovery had dreams of like um two past um, family members who've passed away where I truly like know for almost for a fact, like, I mean, you can never say anything's 100% certain, but almost know for a fact that they were in my dream and like um, present with me, like as an angel. Like, it's crazy to say that, but like, I'll give one example, I was with my grandfather um, who had passed away like from cancer 5- 10, 15 years ago. Um, this was maybe a year and a half ago and I'm here in my apartment sleeping at night, me and Lauren, and it's just me, my, my dad's in one side, Lauren's on the other side. And, um, I'm at my old house and my grandfather, I just walk in right away. It's like this big aura. And I just know it's my grandfather. Cause he, um, just, I, it was just like, this like direct vision of him. And I could see him so clearly. And he just, all he asked was, is this your girlfriend? And at the time, I'm like, yes, this is Lauren. And he said, make sure you take good care of her. And dude, I, when I woke up after that, it, I literally was like the undertaker, dude. Like I woke up sitting up and my whole body went from here all the way down of massive. And I'm getting chills right now just talking about it, massive chills, like straight up goosebumps for I couldn't go back to sleep that whole night. I literally couldn't go back to sleep. I almost had to wake Lauren up. Cause I was like, so like, did this really just happen? It was such a clear vision. So I just want to let people know, like I truly do hundred percent believe that there's, there's more to than just this life. And um, that was just one experience.
0: So, wow. Wow. So you come out of the coma. What's next? Yeah. What happens? I'm so, spellbound right now.
1: Yeah. So thinking it's over. It's actually just beginning. Um, a week later, you know, I can barely move. I mean, I'm trying to just move my hands and and all these things. I'm barely even conscious. I mean, I know what's going on a little bit after like four or five days. And what they do is they go to take out one of the catheters in my neck. So I'm making some progress. They're going to take out one of the catheters, just a normal procedure. And they're like, okay. Like they tell my parents to go downstairs, come back up in 15 minutes. You'll be fine. Parents go downstairs. They come back up. And by the time they get back up, my room is filled with nurses. What had happened in doctors, like the whole entire staff. So I don't, it's like blue coated or whatever. So I forget what the code is. Yeah. So what had happened was I had what's called an arrhythm heartbeat. I ended up going into cardiac arrest. They had to do eight minutes of CPR on me, bring me back to life. And I ended up going into a, another one week, uh, this time seduced or induced coma. And, uh, it was just like, absolutely crazy. I end up waking up. It's now been, um, three weeks in the ICU. It's Valentine's day. I actually wake up on Valentine's day, which is crazy. I remember waking up, I seen like hearts and everything in my ICU bed and all this. And just like, what is going on? And I go to try to get up and I'm like, I can't even move. I'm like legit paralyzed almost. I feel like nothing. I can't move anything. And, um, you know, finally the nurse to see am awake and people are coming in and I'm like scared to death. And, um, basically for the next two weeks, I literally had to go from laying in my bed to taking my very first steps again with four nurses every single day, helping me do this. It was literally learning to walk again. And, um, man, that might've been the most physically grueling thing of my entire life because I'm now four surgeries in. So it, they had to do the first big surgery. And then, like I said before, three surgeries with my stomach and all of these things. And then I went to another coma after, you know, bringing back to life. And, um, man, it was just like, every time I tried to get up off of that bed, like it was like, it felt like a billion pounds on me and my bones could like break at any second. And I told you I was about 200 pounds during this. Um, I'm now probably, I don't know what I'm at at this point, but at the end of it all, when I get out of the the hospital, I'm close to 110 pounds. So I am literally losing weight by the day. It's crazy because I can't eat anything. I can't drink anything. This was another terrible part. If you can't put liquid in your mouth is one of the worst feelings in your life because my stomach couldn't handle any liquid because of all the surgeries was going through. So they had to give it through an IV. It was dry mouth is one of the worst feelings ever. And, um, so I finally get, um, after over a month in the ICU, I make enough progress to where they're like, okay, we're going to take you out of this ICU room. We're going to put you into a recovery room, like a different, like a little more, um, you know, step down or, or whatever it's called, where you go to that next, next level before they get you out of the hospital. So I'm in that recovery room. It's about three days in and they're like, okay, it's time to go to your final stage, which is maybe a week long of physical therapy. And let's get you out of here. And no joke, I'm laying in my bed, and as they're wheeling me out in my bed, my stitches burst open out of my stomach. My spleen sticking out of my stomach. I had to get rushed into a fifth major surgery, and they had to do what's called an open wound surgery on me. They had to literally open up my entire stomach. They couldn't close it back up, so I had to put a football-sized mesh over my stomach. They had to take out all of my abdominals. And as you can guess, I was, uh, I was back in the ICU room. And um, oh this, I would say... Um, real quick was the true true turning point of my journey with with um, cancer like that that coma getting out of that coma I still wasn't fully conscious and I knew like there, there was a lot I didn't understand this time I knew that I'd gone through that surgery but here's the scary part I had a breathing tube in my mouth my hands were tied to the bed and my legs were tied to the bed because they didn't want me accidentally hitting my stomach. If I woke up and didn't know what was really going on. Like I didn't know I had that massive wound or anything. So no joke for two days, they didn't know I was awake enough to take out the breathing tube. So they literally had my hands and legs tied to the bed for like a day and a half to two days. And I couldn't tell them anything. And, um, you want to talk about praying and, and just like, literally having no option, but to, to push forward when this was over, that was me. And, uh, when I was finally able to sit up, I'm not kidding you, Todd, I walked further. There was just like this, like literally power of of God pushing me forward. And I walked further than I ever did previous to any of the ICU, any of the recovery room. And dude, I was out of that ICU in like two days, three days. And, um, finally I went to my final stages of physical therapy And um, that's basically where you, you know, you do everything you take for granted, sitting on a toilet, getting up off your bed, um, going up one step of stairs, not a flight, like one step of stairs, things like that, learning to walk again. And after being um, in the ICU for over 40 days, after being in the hospital for over 53 days, I was finally released. And here's a really, really cool story. So I had met Lauren on March 17th of 2016, which is St. Patrick's Day. I was released from that hospital on march 17th of 2017 exactly one year from when i met it's a lucky day um we are like it, it, it's not just an anniversary for us it was literally god being like i'm putting lauren in your life for a massive reason and i'm telling you right now Todd, she was in that she was in that hospital all 53 days not one day did she leave like she left if she had to go to work and she'd come back and literally sit there. And I couldn't even talk for probably 45 out of the 53 days, literally couldn't even hold a sentence, but yet she just stayed there and just was present. And so were my parents. And I had a lot of incredible friends and family as well, but it was just that, that was just a really powerful thing. And and I guess I want to ask somebody is, who is that one person, that one person in your life that, you know, when you're going through the hardest moments of your life, they will not, um, you know, let you go. They will be there for you every single moment. And if you know who that person is, a lot of times we could take them for granted because we just expect them to be in our life. But if you just reach out to them today and just share your appreciation for something they've done in your life, it is going to make your day and their day absolutely incredible. So that's just my message. And, um, you know, that's kind of my journey through, through the ICU and in the hospital. And, um, you know, there's a long journey of recovery after that as well, when I get home, but yeah,
0: that's a crazy story. And you know, what's funny. I used to work in the ICU when I was, and I used to, I worked in cardiothoracic ICU and we had to extubate people. And, and it was always one of the things of fear in my mind, especially when I went for brain surgery. Like man, am I gonna be in a tube? Like, are they not gonna pull it out quick enough? You know that is got to be like some somewhat torturous, right? And it so was, you're just yes. <laughs> oh my god, like, dude, oh my god. I
1: had let me just put this. Way. I had wires in places no one ever wants wires and in tubes and dude anywhere you can imagine. Basically, uh, it was a rough experience.
0: So let sure. me, add, you know, so this all started right from testicular cancer. Not once have we even talked about your testicles. Where did those go in this whole? Was that included in? Love
1: that question. It gets put <laughs> under the rug almost. It's almost like whoa, you had testicular cancer. Like half of that had nothing to do with testicular cancer, which is true. But that's like I said, it's like when you go through these health journeys, man, it's almost like the weather, like you don't know what they can tell you. It's going to be sunny and, you know, things are going to look good on this day. But then they can, next thing you know, 24 hours later, it can be a freaking monsoon. So text, so they, in the first original surgery, they removed that testicle. And here's what's weird about the whole situation. I'll track back all the way to when I was diagnosed. So when I was first diagnosed, everyone's like probably questioning like Matt. So didn't you have like some form of like, you know, enlarged testicle to like have to go to a doctor? No, I didn't, which is the crazy part. I had such a rare case of testicular cancer that they found out that it had formed in my testicle, but the cancer had spread up and that's why the tumor was in my small intestine. So I had no symptom of a large testicle, um, in my body, which is the weirdest part. So that's why I never had like any type of like, um, reasoning to go get that checked out. And, um, so they removed one of the testicles and, um, I, I still have one, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, that was the whole entire, you know, part of that journey is why, why it was so weird is because it, it formed there because they found out by doing like ultrasounds and things like that, but it never actually like had any symptoms there.
0: Wow. You know, when, you know, you're a young kid, and I still think you're a young kid. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. <laughs> so the thing about that is like, I remember when I was younger, I was like, you know, every once in a while I'd see like Lance Armstrong on the TV and I'm like, I better go to the bathroom and like, talk to my junk and do the exam. And like, cause you know, you don't think about it. And honestly, they say, if you catch it early enough, right. It's kind of, it, it, it's less damaging, right?
1: Yeah. testicular cancer is one of the most curable cancers yeah. out there. If you get it controlled quickly enough. Yeah. Now, unfortunately there are some cases like where I'm very grateful that I didn't pass away. Cause there's a lot of people who had that stage that I did that haven't made it there's a lot who have but there are some who haven't and um you know you just that's another thing you can you know you don't question but you just wonder like why them or why me sometimes and it's like you just have to say like this is still God's timing what can I still do on this earth to really give back that's why I'm so passionate about helping others is because I feel like I've truly been given a second chance in life like I truly believe that um I have a, a purpose to re- everyone has a purpose. But I feel like I, I just have an amplified purpose now that I really have to fulfill. And I think anyone who's watching this, if you've gone through a challenging moment at any point in your life, you can attest to saying, I feel like at the end of it, and when you overcome it, there's a bigger meaning behind it. There's a bigger purpose, there's a bigger mission, and there's a bigger reasoning to help others who may be facing something similar to your path.
0: So, so, you know, you bring up a good point, And this is a lot of the work that i have been doing with people and myself and my journey is it's recreating the story of our lives but like if you think of it in a movie right if you had a if you watched a movie that didn't have a challenge where somebody had to rise up and win or overcome something you turn the movie off you wouldn't watch it right That's the point of it you'd be like okay so the part, and and I was listening to a podcast, this guy was sharing this very similar thing is the parts that give us our purpose are what's birthed out of our biggest challenges. Right. Mm, yeah. You know, so and and honestly, you reached out to me and we just, you know, and you're like, man, your story is great. You know, share it. And we just started talking and connecting your energy is just awesome. I appreciate it you know, you really have a gift. And then you, you know, you introduced me to your group, which you have a private Facebook group, which is growing at leaps and bounds. And, you know, and I'm in that group and I've I hear some great stories and, and, but one of the things you touched upon was that one person, right. And one of the things that I experienced was a lot of things didn't matter when I was diagnosed and when I was going through it, but what mattered was people. Yes. It was talking to people. Like, honestly, I was talking to transporters and taking me in a the hospital. They were like the most meaningful people and like the aides that just sat with me and were just like, Holy cow. Like, really? Yeah. Like you got something in your head. You're like, you know, it was like out of nowhere. Right. But that, you know, and my girlfriend, she was, you know, and I was thinking towards the end when you're sharing there about that, I'm like, man, your girlfriend's a keeper for sure, man. Like, like, we
1: are married know. in September of this year. So it's uh definitely a keeper. Your fiance. Um, yeah.
0: She's got, like, she wins. Uh, she's uh, awesome. Yeah, sure. she's
1: your girlfriend, now fiance of the entire my life. So I'm very grateful for sure. So
0: you had a long road to recovery, you know, and- you're got that purpose you know you're like oh my god so what were the kind of what are the steps that you've been taking now yeah what's changed for you yeah
1: so first it took i'm gonna tell you right now one of my all-time favorite sayings is in order to be selfless you must first be selfish you must be selfish for yourself first and what i mean by that is if you cannot take care of yourself don't ever expect to make an impact in somebody else's life. So for me, when I got out of that hospital, it wasn't like, oh, what's my new purpose in life? No, I had to take care for two years. No joke, two years. I had to focus on how do I mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually rebuild my entire life. And like I was telling you, I had to learn to walk again. Um, I had to I was 110 pounds. I was literally, now I would look like an absolute just sick skeleton. Like I was just like I can't even explain it, man. I looked really, really bad. And um, dude, I had to um, go back to my roots of saying, what is one thing a day that I can do to really push myself? Because this is what actually happened. A week, you know, is basically two or three days out of that hospital, I started to go into that victim mindset. And here's why I didn't have the accountability that I would usually have in the hospital. I didn't have nurses coming in every day. I didn't have doctors coming in every day. I had an at-home nurse or I had a nurse that would come in every like three or four days just to help change my wound and, and whatnot. But that was it. And I had one physical therapist once a week. So one day, about a week and a half later, I got really sick and I got rushed back into the hospital They um, found out that my heart rate was literally my standing heart rate was like 160 beats a minute. My blood, uh, my blood pressure was through the roof. My temperature was 104, 104 temperature. And um, they found out that I wasn't taking care of my body. And dude, literally, like I was in the hospital for maybe four days. They got it all under control. I was finally home and I sit down with Lauren and we basically come to the conclusion of Matt, if you're gonna still become this victim of this situation, no joke, you may not be here next month. It was a life or death, like, you know, like talk. And I realized like, when your back is truly against that wall, like you better find a way out. Like you better find a way to push forward. And um, for me, man, I just had to put one foot in front of the other. And um, eventually I started eating a little healthier. I started, I literally would put two lawn chairs in my driveway. I'd walk to that lawn chair, I'd sit there for like 30 seconds, walk back, you know, I do the next day, I'd push that lawn chair just a little bit further, just a little bit further. And one day I was out of the freaking driveway and I started walking on my development street and like all these things. So um, listen, man, like if you're in this journey right now, you just have to say, how can I be present? Learn from your past, don't let it define you. Don't let your future create anxiety. Instead, say, how do I plan for the future? And then say, what do I need to do today that will help me be a better version of myself in that future? So um, that's what I did, man. In two years, you know, went by where I had took a full year for my wound to heal from my stomach, literally a full year. Um, it took me about a year to gain a, a lot of my weight back. I was maybe 150 or 60 pounds, um, then, and then finally, after about another year of really like mentally and emotionally, that was the most challenging part of what's called scan anxiety, worrying about scan, um, reoccurring, I'm, I'm worrying about cancer reoccurrence when you go get your scans checked up, um, you know, having anxiety of like just socially, Um, because like you went through so much and people look at you different, people act different around you because you've gone through something challenging. And you're like, I just want to like, be me. Like, look at me as for who I am. Don't look at me as this poor little kid who went through something. No, I don't want to be that because I don't want cancer to define me in that way. I want to use cancer to help people, but I don't want people to, to like, you know, um, baby me because of that. And I think a lot of people can say that too. So I had to work through these things. And, um, finally, now we get to that point. One, like, you know, I gradually start like getting myself really healthy. I start really seeing things differently. And I'm like, what's next? Like really trying to figure that out. And all of a sudden I run, you know, I'm looking at motivational videos now, like maybe like for about a month where I'm really looking at motivational videos. I'm like, um, really feeling this like energy shift. And then all of a sudden I run into this entrepreneur's name Ed my And his video really caught my attention. It was just broke to 400 million. I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it. It looks pretty cool. Dude had nothing to do with the money, nothing to do with really broke to 400 million. You know what I had to do with? All the shit he had to go through to get to that 400 million and how he's impacted millions of lives along the way. And I said, holy shit, like that's what I need to do. And I said, I don't know how, but I need to get into his community. I need to start getting involved and literally i'm not even kidding you like out of pure luck he literally that year a month later started this group called arte and it was just this business mastermind group and i'm like i don't care like you know i'm joining it was you know a couple thousand dollars just to get into this thing i was like i don't even give a shit i'm going for it i didn't even know what i was doing with my life but i said i'm doing this and that's a huge you know thing too is take the risk take the risk don't be afraid to take the risk so you know what happened I made the most amazing connections of my life because I was definitely afraid to share my story, dude. Like I was so afraid because I thought it was going to bring all this anxiety back. I thought it was going to like, no one was going to care. I was just going to get like laughed at dude. As I started sharing it to these people, it was like, they're like, dude, are you a motivational speaker? Like, what do you do? I'm like, I don't know what I do. I don't know what to do. And they're like, well, you need to start getting on stages and, and whatnot. So that is when I finally started gaining the courage. To start doing this. And I'm going to tell you right now if you want to get to a destination in life, you need to surround yourself with people who are either at the destination that you want to be at and start learning from what they did to get there or start being around people who have the same mindset, the same vision, and the same energy as you do to get to that destination. Because if you're around people who are negative or who don't believe in you or are always skeptical about themselves and they can't see anything and they're like, oh, well, if I can't do it, then why can you? You will never get to your destination. And yes, did I lose a couple of friends along the way? Yes. I still have incredible friends from the past, but I, I may not hang out with them as much because I know that in order to get to a destination and like I also have to be around people who are going towards that, that destination that I'm going to as well. So it's like having that balance in life. So um, I started getting on stages. I started sharing my story. I started helping other people as a motivational speaker. Then all of a sudden COVID hits and everyone's like, everyone is just like, what do we do now? Like no one knows what's going on, especially if you're a speaker because all literally I had like books, um, gigs booked and all these things. That was out the window. So I started doing podcasts. And like this, and I started sharing my story more. And I said, okay, how can I monetize this? So then I said, okay, wow, there's people who are doing coaching. Let me start trying out coaching. So I started coaching other people. I started helping them one-on-one. And then all of a sudden I said, okay, well, how can I make this even bigger? And this is when I created that Facebook group. I literally took me three months to gain the courage to do this because I was so talk about literally when you have all the limiting beliefs in the world and you think that like, you have no idea how you're going to do something. That is the first, that is the very first moment you should actually go and do it. When you don't know what you're actually doing, when you have no idea what you're doing and you're definitely afraid, but there's this like gut feeling in you do it, just go for it. And um, after three months I did it. And you know, the first two, three weeks, I had maybe 50 to a hundred people and we started gaining and we started gaining and now it's been a year and three, two months, and we have close to 6,000 cancer patients, survivors, and um, uh, people who've just been family members impacted by cancer in this group. And the amount of connections, the amount of just fulfillment, it's been absolutely mind blowing. And um, it's allowed me to really gain new ideas and thoughts. And now I have my own business, which I just started, which is called Survivor HQ, where I am um, acquired four additional coaches, that expertise in key foundations to helping you rebuild your life, not just after cancer, but after challenging moments in your life. So I literally have built a team around me. And what we do is people, if somebody is struggling right now, and the relationship aspect, we literally have a relationship coach in Survivor HQ that you can connect with and helps you literally rebuild your relationship, whether it's with yourself, your spouse, or somebody else. We have a mindset coach. We have a purpose-driven coach. We have a functional medicine coach. You have me as me being a personal trainer for 10 years. I can help you do the the health aspect of things through whether it's nutrition, whether it's working out, rebuilding your body, things like that. So listen, I'm telling you right now, if you have a vision, you just have to take action and and don't give up on yourself. Please don't. You're going to go ups and downs. I'm at a point where I'm not nearly financially where I want to be, but but God has put me on this path to where I can truly, truly um, use my story and use more importantly my message to to really make an impact in people's lives.
0: That's awesome, and we'll put all your contact and and all your information in the show notes for sure. The Ed Milet right is that I, I just listen to his podcast. He's one of my top five. Like I incredible you know, I, man. Yeah, he actually you know. I started listening to him probably a couple of years ago, but um, yeah. you know, it, you know, it's, it's funny. You put some positive stuff in your head. Like, you know, I go running, I do whatever. And I always share, cause you get a tidbit and I'm like, wow, I haven't thought of something like, haven't thought of that. Or, you know, you're surrounding yourself. I love what you said about surrounding yourself. You know, Tony Robbins always talked about it. Yeah. You become who you hang out with all, all the time. If you're hanging around, you know, with a lot of victims, it's easy to become a victim for sure. And, and I love that, you know, you just, what was that? What was that turning point when you were sitting with your girlfriend, you were getting sick again, because you weren't taking care of yourself? Like, yeah, you want me to
1: talk about the experience or
0: what was that? Tell me a little bit about just that turning point for Mm -hmm. you? You know, what what was that?
1: So this is, this is exactly what happened actually. So we didn't just sit down, honestly, like, I don't know why this came of both of us, but remember I'm 110 pounds. I'm literally skin and bone and, um, we're at her house. So, um, well, no, we're, we're still, yeah, we're, we're finally at her house. This is like a week or two later. So I'm just like, I'm basically, um, just hanging out with her. And all of a sudden she like we're just like um hanging out and she like grabs my hand and I don't know why she did it, but like we we're just joking around, like we we're just messing around, joking around. She like grabs my wrist and I'm like trying to like get her hand off my wrist. She's just joking around, but she's like t- kind of tight on it. And I couldn't like, you know, for me now I can just like grab it and okay, whatever. She's got, I couldn't do it. I felt hopeless. Like I literally felt like like defenseless in that moment. And as a man, like I I just started, I'm like, I I screamed, I'm like, let go. And she felt terrible. She didn't mean to like do any harm to me, but was just joking around. And I just broke down and crying, dude, because I was defenseless. I had broken down. And I told myself, like, if I don't start rebuilding my life, like, I'm not going to be here. And that's when we came to that conclusion of like, listen, like, I'm not healthy, like at all. I'm not healthy. And Um, It was just this weird moment of like feeling like, you know, so hopeless in that moment that I just, I had to change my life around. And dude, I don't think there's been a week, not even joking, hasn't been a week where I haven't done some type of physical um, activity since then. Dude, even through like recovery, I do something. Every single, like maybe not every day, but I haven't taken a week off where I haven't done some type of physical activity, whether it's hiking or lifting or walking, whatever, dude. And that is so important for a lot of you people out there, yeah, especially man. right now during this time, Just to move. your number one thing you should be focused on, honestly, is your health. What are you, the, what are the foods you're putting in your body? What type of vitamins does your body need? Are you away from sun? Do you need vitamin D? Um, do you take any type of fish oil pills or anything like that? And then are you getting some type of movement in? Because if you're not like your, your probability of getting, you know, sick is way, way higher than somebody who's actually taking care of their body. Yeah. So that's just what I'm kind of at.
0: I'm a hundred percent with you. I, that's the first place I go is biology. You have to get the biology square. And then some of the things that you think were mind are sometimes corrected with biology. And then you could work on that. But in the process, you're working on the mind because you're doing something. It's about doing that. I, and, you know, one of my mantras, and I said this anytime, you know, there's hard things, I always say, we do hard things. And I say that to myself all the time. We do hard yeah. things. That's it. And I don't say I do hard things. I say we, because in my mind, there's a we. We're doing hard things and we do it together. Like your group, like in spirit, we're doing hard things. And man, you have done some hard things. So just a brief note, how are you health-wise yeah. you know, with your, uh, your recovery?
1: Dude, I've, I feel absolutely incredible. You know, I mean, the only limitation I have is my stomach because I mean, I don't have any abdominals there anymore. I have this big like scar there. So like running is a lot more challenging, but I can go out and walk 10 miles and it'll be absolutely fine. Um, dude, I put very limited, very limited limitations on my, on my life. And I think that's been what's helped me get to where I need to be today, because I am willing to push myself to the point of where I know I'm not going to hurt myself, but where I know that my body can, um, it's not going to feel maybe great in the moment, but if I stay consistent with it, it will bring me to new levels of health. It'll bring me to new levels of fitness. It'll bring me to new levels of physique or whatever I'm trying to accomplish in the moment. And, um, dude, I feel absolutely incredible. And like I was saying to everybody else, like, don't, you don't have to do everything at once. Just find something that is most important to you or what you think um, should be your first step. Mostly it's nutrition to start off with, or just getting some type of movement in. focus on one of those two things first. And once you start getting momentum in that, then go to the next thing. And then maybe you can focus on sleeping Then you can focus on hydration Then you can focus on meditation, like actually like, you know, um, taking time to, to really, um, work through your thoughts throughout the day. So I'm great, man. I'm, I'm doing really well. Um, and, uh, I'm blessed is what I would say. I'm very grateful and blessed.
0: That is awesome. And so just. What's the name of your your Facebook group? It's Cancer Patient Survivor Community, right? Yeah,
1: so it's it's cancer cancer patient slash survivor taking back your life from cancer. Okay, and, and we'll put
0: I can,
1: it. Yeah, put it in. Uh, I can send it if you want me to put it in the chat right now, or I can just send it to you right after. And you, yeah, can I'll put it in
0: it. the show notes so people whoever whatever because it goes on YouTube wherever you watch Perfect. it, you'll see it in there and all of your, uh, where to follow you on Instagram and yeah, awesome.
1: Absolutely. And if anybody's ever looking for like, um, some type of, uh, a coach or anything, you know, I'd be happy to, to share a, a free, um, you know, basically interview process I did with all the coaches. It's a really cool thing. I think it's tons of free value. And, um, you know, if you like it, you can join a coach. If not, I just hope it brought a ton of value into your day. So
0: that is awesome. So Dude, this has been fantastic. Your story is awesome. The lessons. Now, if you had to tell if somebody was just at that point, you know, sometimes people got to hit this bottom, right? What one, you gave a ton of them throughout this.
1: (laughs) Now I got you, yeah.
0: What one thing would you say?
1: So I have a really cool acronym. It's called HOPE. Help one person every day. And what I mean by that is, your true happiness is going to come from impacting somebody's life. And by you helping one person, think of it as a snowball effect. That one person, the lesson you gave them can then go and help somebody else. And as you help 10 people, you may have actually ultimately helped 100 people. When you help 100 people, you may have actually helped a 1,000. So don't ever underestimate the power of helping one person every day just in one way or form, whether it's posting on social media, whether it's giving somebody some piece of advice, I don't care what it is. It'll bring true happiness, true fulfillment into your life and a true meaning and purpose as well. So um, that's what I would tell somebody who, um, you know, is on that road to figure out where they want to go next in their life.
0: Dude. Awesome, man. That was awesome. Thank you so much for, for coming on the, the show and sharing your story, lots of gems. And man, I wish you and, and your fiance awesome. and yeah. your team and everybody, you know, all the best for sure, man.
1: Appreciate it, Todd. Thank you for having me. And I hope uh, your community got a a, a lot of uh, valuable lessons today. So
0: awesome. So, so cool. Have a good one, Matt.
1: Bye guys.